You're going to love this. Just love it. Unless you happen to be the Secretary of State of Kansas. From Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles, this is your broadcast, as heard on 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast, and coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Progressive Voices Channel, on the Netroots Radio, on Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, radio or not. Radio Free Brooklyn, and five days a week on Radio Sputnik. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, here for another thrilling adventure that we like to call the Bradcast. Thank you for joining us today. A big show. We're going to try to squeeze it all in. And, um, well, if, if you're lucky... And if Desi Doyen is lucky, uh, she will be here with the Green News Report a little bit later. And I say lucky because, uh, well, you'll be lucky to hear it, but we'll be lucky to play it at all because uh, we've got so much show for you. Today. We have more show than time we today. We do, as always. <laughs> um, but if we do get to it, we will finally get to find out about uh, the uh, governor of Ohio, John Kasich, who has just jumped into the 2016 Republican race. We will, uh, what, try to decipher his position on climate change. Yeah, it's a tricky one. It is a tricky one. And we've had a lot of them, and you've done an amazing job reporting uh, where, I guess, very few in the media have on the climate change positions of all of these people. We're up to 16 now, I think, on the Republican side. And who knows if we're done yet. There's going to be more? I wouldn't be surprised if there's at least one or two more, but we'll see. don't you threaten me, Desi Doyen. <laughs> um, yeah, so there may be more. So all of them on the Republican side, all of them on the Democratic side, uh, we have uh, informed you on what their climate change position uh, is, given that it, uh, I believe, is the most existential threat that is faced on this planet. You would think the mainstream corporate media would uh, would also want to report on that, would also want to ask them right out of the box what their position was, or at least the, the hell with asking them, go back and find out what their position is based on what they have done over all of these years. Well, that's what Desi has been doing. And so we will fill you in on John Kasich's strange position uh, on, on climate a little bit later in the Green News Report. And uh, also, so oh, heads are exploding over at Fox News because... Speaking of existential threats, a Democratic presidential candidate had the temerity to point out the facts about uh, climate change leading pretty much directly to the civil war in Syria, which led pretty much directly to the rise of ISIS. As you can imagine, Fox News ain't happy about that. Um, But sorry, facts are facts. Uh, So we'll have that and much more on the Green News Report if we have time for it (laughs) a little bit later. Uh, also, 
I asked yesterday as uh, this uh, kid in this jerk in uh, South uh, in South Carolina was charged with uh, 33 counts for the shootings at the AME Church in uh, in Charleston. Uh, why you know, he was charged with the 33 counts, murder and so forth, uh, including hate crimes, but uh, nothing about terrorism, no terrorism charges. Why is that? Why, when this white kid goes in and shoots up a historic uh, black church, African-American church, a se- the center of civil rights in uh, in Charleston for decades, for actually centuries at this point, um specifically targeting African-Americans, trying to start a race war, according to reports. Why is that not terrorism? And yet, last week, guy walks into a, a, a Marine recruiting facility, kills a few people, and that's immediately, that's going to be investigated as terrorism. Well, why? Well, because he's got a Middle Eastern name, I guess. Uh, but why not the case in Charleston? Well, uh, so I was wondering about that yesterday, and maybe, just maybe, we'll get some answers today. We'll be speaking with uh, former FBI special agent and Time Magazine Person of the Year back in 2002, I believe it was. Colleen Raleigh will be joining us to talk about that issue. So, yes, a lot ahead, but earlier this week I also promised... Uh, a story concerning Kansas, and, I, and I'm sad to say this is part of a more on our uh, sadly continuing series, This is What's the Matter with Kansas. And it has to do this time with uh, Kansas's Secretary of State, Chris Kobach. And I've been reporting on this guy for years. Uh, he is the one who actually, uh, some of you may remember this uh, Papers, Please law that was originally passed in uh, in Arizona. It was eventually found, the most offensive parts of it were found unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. But it basically allowed cops to pull over anybody they wanted and ask for their citizenship papers and so on and so forth. Well, Chris Kobach was behind that. He was actually the guy who wrote that for the state of Arizona. Then he ended up running as secretary of state in Kansas, where he ran solely, almost entirely on the idea of stopping voter fraud. And we covered it back in uh, back in 2010 when he was when he was running for secretary of state. Um, I recall actually driving through Kansas and seeing those signs. That's the first I heard about it. Seeing as, you know, Chris Kobach for secretary of state. Stop voter fraud. Who knew there was a problem with voter fraud in Kansas? I had no idea. Um, But he was elected on that and pretty much only on that. And on election night, November, uh, November 3rd, I believe this was 2010, in his victory speech, he talked about now, finally, now he Chris Kobach was going to be able to put an end to the epidemic of voter fraud that was happening in Kansas. Here's a clip from his speech that night, November 3rd, 2010, his uh, victory speech, Secretary of State, newly elected Secretary of State Chris Kobach. You know, our campaign had an undeniable, unmistakable message, and that message could be summed up in three words, three words which were on every one of our Fort Bayek Highway signs, Stop Voter Fraud. Because yes. the people of Kansas say yes, we endorse that message. So it's time to get to work, and 
we'll be introducing some reforms in Kansas that will significantly improve our election process. We are going to have photo ID at the polls. time people register to Because of all those non-citizens voting. You realize that if you want something to stop that's a crime, you have to prosecute it, and we will step up prosecution. Of and we will also clean up our voter rolls of deceased voters and people who've moved out of the state. Yeah. So that was uh, newly elected at that point, uh, Chris Co Secretary of State Chris Kobach, Secretary of State of Kansas in uh, November of 2010. I will give uh, Chris Kobach uh, at least this much credit. Uh, when he makes a promise, he keeps it. Pretty much all of those things that he talked about, photo ID laws, citizenship laws, uh, prosecuting uh, voter fraud cases, all of those he has kept. Well, maybe not the prosecuting voter fraud part. The problem is, uh, though you can you know, run on uh, all of these gullible chumps and suckers and stooges in the Republican Party who believe there is a massive epidemic of voter fraud, you can run on that. But then once you become secretary of state and you promise to bring voter fraud convictions and then you find out there is no actual voter fraud epidemic going on, maybe a few cases here or there, very few, then you got a problem. And that's Chris Kobach's problem right now. Actually, that was Chris Kobach's problem from the beginning, from the very start. Now, before he even ran, when he was out there talking about stopping voter fraud, uh, which is a Republican dog whistle for stop Democratic-leaning voters from being able to cast their vote. At the time that he was running on the con that there was this massive epidemic of voter fraud in Kansas or anywhere else in July of 2010, that year that he was running, uh, according to the Kansas Secretary of State's Election Division, as we reported at Bradblog that year, there have been 20 claims of voter fraud in the past 10 years in Kansas. That was out of some 5 million votes that were cast in the state since 2000. Also, a uh, spokesman for former 16-year Republican Secretary of State Ron Thorberg stated at the time that, quote, voter fraud is very minimal. And not widespread at all. And the current secretary of state, the current secretary of state in uh, uh, 2010, Secretary of State Chris Biggs, he was a Democrat. Uh, he was also on record explaining, quote, voter fraud in this state is not a major problem. And yet for Chris Kobach, it was. And that's what he ran on. And that's what he won on. And as he ran, he claimed, quote, thousands of fraudulent voters are voting in the state of Kansas. He said that it was an epidemic of voter fraud. He described voter fraud as the civil rights issue of our time. How's that for Orwellian? His crusade to deny voters their civil right to vote, that voter suppression, uh, unnecessary polling place photo ID restrictions, that, he said, is a matter of civil rights. Up is down, black is white, you understand. You get the picture. Well, uh, he did end up passing a photo ID law. 
And right now, a voter in Kansas who is unable or refuses to provide current and valid identification may pr- uh, vote a provisional ballot, as is the state, uh, as is the, uh, the the case across the country, everywhere, thanks to uh, national uh, federal law. But in order to have that ballot counted, that voter must figure out how to find one of the very few forms of ID that is allowable and get it somehow to county election officials uh, before uh, the meeting of the county board uh, can- and, and their, their board of canvassers in order to get their vote counted. Good luck with that if you don't have one of these very few uh, approved photo IDs to use or if you don't have the money to buy the birth certificate that you would need to then get your uh, so-called free ID in order to cast your vote. Problem is, uh, Chris Kobach has not been able to find any actual fraud since becoming Secretary of State. Uh, He's found uh, virtually next to nothing. But he has passed the photo ID laws and he has passed a citizenship law, as he also promised. That you have to if you want to register to vote, you have to come up with the papers to prove now you're a citizen just to register. Now, the Supreme Court has found that to be unconstitutional. At least for federal elections. So now there's two different ballots if you go to vote in uh, in in Kansas. If you turned in your citizenship papers You can vote in state and federal elections, but if you didn't turn in your citizenship papers, you can still vote in federal elections. You just can't vote for for state elections. You can't vote, for example, uh, for Chris Kobach for secretary of state. Now, we know last year when Chris Kobach was up for reelection and he was reportedly tied with his Democratic challenger just the week uh, before the poll, according to KSN TV's Survey USA poll, Uh, We know that he was tied, according to that one poll, and then he ended up winning anyway by a remarkable 19 points. 19 points he won by. Seems a bit of a swing from the pre-election polls. So how much did those 24,000 Kansans who had tried to register last year, but their registrations were held in suspense because they failed to present documentary proof of citizenship, how many of uh, those Kansans would have voted against Chris Kobach had they been allowed to vote? Had Chris Kobach not taken away their right to vote in state elections? We can't know. All we know is that somehow or another he won re-election, even though he has been able to find pretty much zero voter fraud in the state of Kansas since he has become in the four years since he has become secretary of state. But, of course, he's blaming that not on uh, the lack of voter fraud. He's blaming that on the prosecutors who refuse who refuse to prosecute voter fraud as Chris Kobach would like uh, would like them to do. Now, he's referred many cases, he says, to the U.S. attorney, the U.S. attorney, Obama's attorney in Kansas. But they just would not prosecute those cases that he has turned in. So so now. He went back to the state and said, hey, give me the power to prosecute. Give the secretary of state the power to prosecute. The hell with these, you know, prosecutors who do this for a living, who know what the laws are. Give me the right to prosecute. And when he did that, when he went to uh, uh, when he went to the state and said, give me that, give me that right. uh, The AP Associated Press looked into it 
and looked into all of these claims that Chris Kobach had said that he referred to the U.S. attorney, but that the U.S. attorney just refused to prosecute because, you know, it's Obama's attorney and Obama favors voter fraud or something. According to the AP, the conservative Republican publicly chastised Kansas-based U.S. attorney Barry Grissom in uh, late 2014, telling Topeka television station WIBW that he had referred voter fraud cases to Grissom and that Grissom didn't, quote, didn't know what he's talking about when he said that voter fraud doesn't exist in Kansas. But in a November 6, 2014 letter sent from Grissom to Kobach and obtained by the AP through open records request, the U.S. attorney, the prosecutor, responded that his office received no referrals from Kobach. None. Zero. He wrote in this letter, going forward, this is to Chris Kobach, to the Secretary of State. He said, going forward, if your office determines there has been an act of voter fraud, please forward the matter to me for investigation and prosecution. Until then, so we can avoid misstatements of facts for the future, for the record, we have received no voter fraud cases from your office in over four and a half years, and I can assure you I do know what I'm talking about. That was the U.S. attorney to Secretary of State Chris Kobach, who is pretending that there is massive voter fraud in Kansas so he can keep legitimate voters from being able to cast their legitimate vote. Kobach apparently never replied to that letter from the U.S. attorney. And the U.S. attorney, Grissom, Barry Grissom, said we want to uphold the integrity of the voting system and people's ability to exercise their right and have their voice heard as part of the process. He went on to tell AP, we have the ability, we have the resources to prosecute any case in which someone believes there has been any voter fraud or voter misrepresentation. Kobach then acknowledged in an email to the AP that his office uh, actually never did send suspected voter fraud cases to Grissom, so I guess he was lying. He admitted he was lying. He said instead what they did was they sent... uh, uh, because, well, he said he cited inaction on cases referred by his predecessor, the previous secretary of state. So uh, Grissom was asked about that, and he said that the FBI determined that two cases referred before Kobach took office in January 2011 were not actually voter fraud. Kobach uh, told lawmakers... Back in, uh, well, at the beginning of this year in 2014, that in 2010 and 2012 Kansas, uh, elections uh, for which there were 1.7 million registered voters, his office found a, a total of 18 cases where someone double voted by voting in advance in one state and then at the polls in another. So out of 1.7 million voters, he found 18 cases of voter fraud since he's become secretary of state. So he lied about what happened before he became Secretary of State. Then once he became Secretary of State, he found 18 total cases. And he lied about referring them to the federal prosecutor. He didn't. Instead, he referred uh, 15 cases to county prosecutors. One was dropped because the voter died. One was sent to the FBI. And one was referred to the Texas Attorney General, who Kobach said was more aggressive about pursuing voter fraud cases than some of those Kansas prosecutors. Kobach said action was taken only in seven cases. 
For example, the Sedgwick County District Attorney's Office, Sedgwick County, Kansas, located in the state's largest metropolitan area, said it investigated the one case that Kobach referred to them, but the facts behind it didn't warrant prosecution. The chief of staff for the Shawnee County Attorney's Office, Lee McGowan, said Kobach never referred a voter fraud case to him, even though the case that Kobach sent to Texas to the attorney general there involved a Shawnee County, Kansas voter. Barry Disney, the senior deputy prosecutor at the Riley County, Kansas Attorney's Office, said we have 105 counties with 105 county attorneys. I don't know how having... 106 is going to make it any better. I just don't see the need for it. That in response to Kobach, who now wanted prosecutorial powers in Kansas so he could prosecute his pretend cases of voter fraud. Well, guess what? Republican Governor Sam Brownback uh, signed the bill to give Chris Kobach that power to now prosecute. Now, finally, Chris Kobach will be able to put an end to the scourge of voter fraud in the case of in the state of Kansas, even though he hasn't been able to find any for all of these years as secretary of state. He's going to finally, finally put an end to it. And oh, about those 25,000 or so uh, voters who are completely legitimate, who there is no evidence that they are uh, not legitimate legal voters, they still can't vote. Because if they can't come up with proof of citizenship, if they can't afford it, if they can't go to that effort, then they're not allowed to vote in the state of Kansas, at least for state elections. They can still vote in federal elections. Well, Chris Kobach now has his authority. And Chris Kobach has now turned the Secretary of State's website into a stop voter fraud website. He ought to be able to come up with all of this evidence of voter fraud, but he can't. So now he's turning to you. He's turning to you, the voter, not just the voter in Kansas, but apparently the voter anywhere. Do you have evidence of voter fraud? If you do, Chris Kobach wants to know about it. He desperately wants to know about it. You can stop by www.sos.ks.gov. And uh, click on the easy-to-fill-out form. Click here to stop voter fraud. In order to ensure that Kansas elections are among the most secure in the nation, we must safeguard our voting process. Election and voter fraud undermines the precious right of each citizen to be heard at the ballot box. Each step of the process must conform to the law, from voter registration to casting votes to counting ballots and certifying results, he says on the site, no matter how many people do not get to vote due to these laws, no matter how many legal voters do not get to vote due to these laws. So click here to stop voter fraud, and then you're taken to a form, and it allows you to fill out an incident report. So when you see voter fraud, you can take action. And then it allows you details of the incident that you can choose. And here are the various uh, details of incidents that uh, you can check. You know, which, which case applies here? Advanced voting irregularities. Did you see it as someone uh, doing something in advance that was illegal? Let them know. You check the box. Corrupt political advertising. Hate to see that. Election bribery. Election forgery. Disorderly election conduct. Intimidation of voters. Voting without being qualified. Misconduct of an election official. Destruction of election records. Poll site violation or other. All of these cases of voter fraud. All of these cases of potential voter fraud that really don't happen. But what about voter suppression? 
Because that's what this is all is all about. This is all about Chris Kobach and Republicans trying to keep legitimate voters from voting. Why are incidents of voter suppression not on that list? Why is there uh, nothing that you can report? If you want fraud in Kansas, it may come from the fact that Chris Kobach is keeping tens of thousands of voters from being able to cast their legal ballot. That's fraud. Now, I asked Chris Kobach about this. I sent him email to say, hey, why is there nothing about voter suppression on your list? Is that not an option? Are you not concerned that people will stop other people from being able to cast their legal vote? Well, apparently, Chris Kobach is not concerned at all. I asked him, why is that the case? And would you like to come on this show to talk about it? I'd love to hear from him. I'd love to know. I've spent the past three weeks trying to get an answer from his office. I got, I got uh, initially, I know, and I know they're getting my emails, not going into the spam bin, because they got, I got a response from, uh, from someone there who won't tell me who they are. I wrote to the media contact at the uh, Secretary of State's website, and they responded, and whoever responded said, well, I, I, I don't know the answer right now. I'm in another state for a, a medical emergency uh, and that's a good excuse. They said that Chris Kobach was was traveling today, so he couldn't be on the show. And I said, OK, great. When can we have Chris Kobach on the show? And uh, I'm sorry to hear about the medical uh, emergency you're dealing with. But uh, when you get time, I'd love to have an answer. That was about uh, two or three weeks ago at this point. I have not gotten an answer. I've asked time and time again. They don't want to come on and talk about it because you know what? They know that none of this has anything to do with fraud. All of this has to do with voter suppression. So, of course, they don't give an option to people to re uh, report incidents of voter suppression. But they do give a, a choice for other. So if you're concerned about voter suppression in the state of Kansas, stop by www.sos.ks.gov. And let them know that you're concerned about the tens of thousands of uh, legitimate voters who are being suppressed, who are not being allowed to vote in the state of Kansas. If you don't want to do it on the website, you can call them. You can call their Stop Voter Fraud Hotline, which they have now set up. Stop Voter Fraud Hotline. That's 800-262-8683. 800-262-8683. I would argue that there is fraud going on in Kansas, that there is fraud being carried out by the Secretary of State who won't even answer simple questions, who lies about uh, how much fraud is going on, who lies about uh, referring cases of voter fraud to the U.S. attorney, who is basically lying and who won't even come on here on this program to talk about it. So you want to stop voter fraud in uh, Kansas? Well, there's not a lot of voter fraud, but there is election fraud, and Chris Kobach seems to be carrying it out. 800-262-8683 is his phone number for the Stop Voter Fraud hotline. Be polite, but ask them uh, what the hell they're thinking and how it is they can call themselves a Repu uh, you know, Republicans who give a damn about the Constitution and the rights of Americans when all they want to do is stop Americans, certain Americans, from being able to cast their legal vote. It's disgraceful, and that's today's chapter in This is What's the Matter with Kansas. What's the, rest, what's the matter with the rest of the country? We'll find that out uh, shortly. We'll take a quick break and come back with uh, Time Magazine's Person of the Year from 2002. 
FBI, uh, former FBI special agent Colleen Rowley. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. This is your FBI. your FBI, an official broadcast from the files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, presented as a public service by the Equitable Life Assurance Society of the United States. To your FBI, you look for national security, (laughs) and to the Equitable Society for financial security. These two great institutions are dedicated to the protection of you, your home, and your country. Indeed. And this is the Bradcast. Welcome back to it. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, sponsored by no one but you. Uh, So uh, earlier this week, uh, Dylan Roth, the shooter, the 21-year-old man in South Carolina who gunned down nine black churchgoers in Charleston, he was charged with 33 counts of murder, attempted murder, use of firearm, all in the commission of a hate crime. And as we talked about on yesterday's show, uh, I was confused. Okay, it was clearly a hate crime, but why wasn't it uh, domestic terrorism? I mean, you know, just days earlier when we had this uh, shooting in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, that was immediately the uh, prosecutors came out and said, oh, we're investigating this for terrorism. In that case, of course, there was a guy with a uh, Middle Eastern name and he was shooting at uh, 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 Marine uh, recruiters. And so it seemed clear that, okay, it makes sense to investigate it for terrorism. But why not in Dylan Roth's case? After all, uh, terrorism, domestic terrorism, is essentially uh, one uh, must meet three criteria. Must involve acts dangerous to human life that violate federal or state law. Obviously, the shootings in uh, Charleston, South Carolina did appear intended to intimidate or coerce a civilian population to influence the policy of a government by intimidation or coercion to affect the conduct of a government by mass destruction, assassination or kidnapping and occur primarily within uh, the territorial jurisdiction of the U.S. All of that was seems pretty clearly met. The only question, I suppose, was this meant to intimidate or coerce? Well, if you look at Dylan Roth's manifesto, He writes about who is fighting for these white people forced by economic circumstances to live among Negroes. No one, but someone has to. It's far from being too late for America or Europe. I believe that even if we made up only 30 percent of the population, we could take it back completely. He was trying to start a race war. 
He was trying to start a race war, and he uh, even said at the time, according to one of the witnesses, uh, reports from one of the witnesses, that she was left alive so that she could tell the world what he did there. Obviously, it was meant to intimidate and coerce. The FBI defines terrorism as the unlawful use of force or violence against persons or property to intimidate or coerce a government, the civilian population, or any segment thereof in furtherance of political or social objectives. It seems quite clear that that was the case. And at the time uh, that this happened about a month ago, Attorney General uh, Loretta Lynch said that uh, they were going to investigate this on on terrorism uh, for, for potential as potential terrorism. But the head of the FBI, James Comey, uh, would never say anything about this being terrorism, and he still will not until this day. Uh, What the hell is going on here? Why is this not terrorism Um, when so much else uh, appears to be? Well, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. So let's check in with uh, our friend, formerly FBI special agent and legal counsel for more than 20 years uh, until retiring from the Bureau in 2004, Colleen Raleigh. Now, you may remember Colleen uh, following 9-11 after blowing the whistle on failures at the FBI, which led up to those nine uh, those attacks on 9-11. She testified to the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee about endemic problems at the agency and in the intelligence community. And in 2002, she was one of three whistleblowers named Time Magazine's Person of the Year, She's also a longtime friend of the Brad blog, has uh, guest blogged for us several times over the years. Good to have you back on the Bradcast. How are you, Colleen Raleigh? Well, good. Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, can you shed any light on uh, on this issue? Why are some things terrorism, some things hate crimes, and other things, I guess, just regular old crimes? I'm not sure that there is a lot of light to be shed. I think it's uh, <laughs> clear as mud. And your intro really kind of laid it out. Now, there are subjective, uh, certainly, uh, motives Mm -hmm. for categorizing different crimes in different ways. Um, But these crimes, even material support of terrorism, which is an actual crime, uh, did not get its start until, I think, 1996. And it didn't get its real start until after the Patriot Act, when it was more broadly defined. Uh, We just had the Supreme Court shoot down... Uh, war crimes that were charged at Guantanamo because these were never war crimes under international law. And so I think the Department of Justice uh, and other authorities are really floundering. Hate crimes, what distinguishes, for instance, a hate crime and uh, terrorism is very thin. They really overlap to some extent because what you're talking about is the intent of the person who does the act. And even when hate crimes kind of had its heyday of discussion when this goes back a a couple of decades, actually, but, you know, when they started to charge the burning of crosses in yards Mm -hmm. and people said at the time, no, that's free speech. Why are you adding to the penalty of a crime? Uh, If you murder someone, the argument was, of course, if you murder somebody, what's the difference between murdering them and hating them at the same time and just plain murdering them? And so there was a lot of discussion about the fact that it was only the intent. Mm -hmm. If you realize that intents are notoriously difficult, except in the case of Dylan Roth, as you said, the case of Dylan Roth is probably the clearest case for knowing that the intent, his intent was was really to terrorize and was to uh, start a race war. But in many cases, this distinction between 
uh, reckless and manslaughter and um, the crime of passion and then the deliberate premeditated. Mm -hmm. These are all kind of difficult even for juries to sometimes distinguish between, let alone the intents of trying to terrorize or to coerce a population and or this intent of, um, of, uh, of hating, you know, or... Or, again, it's very similar to our terrorism because you're trying to terrorize the population. And if I uh, burn a cross on someone's lawn, uh, you know, because they're, they're black and I hate black people, and if I burn a cross on their lawn, uh, I'm not actually uh, murdering them, uh, but it would be a, a hate crime, would it not, because I hate them. Uh, but it's also terrorism, is it not? Because I'm trying to terrorize them. I'm trying to send a message to them, to other people, uh, you know, above and beyond. I'm trying to intimidate or coerce a certain behavior. That seems clear. Uh, and, and correct me, Colleen Raleigh, if I'm wrong on that, but wouldn't that be a, a crime of terror in, in doing that? Or do I actually have to to kill somebody before it becomes terrorism. No, I think exactly. And I think when uh, I heard Eric Holder actually explain this in either 1998 or 1999, we had an entire hate crimes conference here. Uh And the whole reason for adding that additional penalty to what could otherwise be a serious crime, uh, the whole reason for that is because of the terrorizing factor. And he would have argued, certainly argued at the time, and I'm sure would still argue, that that makes it more heinous because the, the purpose of burning that cross in the yard is to send a message of fear to all of the surrounding population. So exactly, it is a hate crime actually has this very large component of terrorizing a population, you know, and you could say for a political reason or to coerce them into something or other. It is very similar. And when I, I should say also the FBI has done something administratively. They've carved out another segment of crime the, for mass shootings, for instance, in schools or malls or or uh, public places. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we're, we're witnessing one almost every other week now. Uh, the FBI counted in the last couple of years that this type of what they call uh, active shooter, and they didn't want to call it domestic terrorism, they didn't want to call it a hate crime, but they called, so they made up a new category called active shooters. You have to uh, shoot four or more people. So if you're in this category of going to a school or a mall and shooting four or more, or a theater, and shooting four, a church or right. a synagogue, and shooting four or more people, uh, the FBI will call you, and this is just administrative, there's no separate statute for this, they'll call you an active shooter. And they were, they were giving a warning that this category has, has nearly tripled in the last couple of years. And, you know, this is something we all ought to be concerned about, and that's why it's more important for to get clarity on what we're talking about here as opposed to all of these different categories that are all blurred and overlapping with each other. Well, they're all blurred except, you know, when it's a, a Middle Eastern man or woman, I guess, who, who commits a crime, then, you know, the right wing goes crazy that if, if Barack Obama doesn't immediately come out and declare this to be terrorism, I... I you know, in, in that case, it's very clear. But if you, you know, you put a bomb at a Martin Luther King Day parade, not only does, you know, the media not cover it, not only is the the right wing not outraged about it, but nobody seems to want to call it terrorism. 
But I, I asked um, when this came up yesterday, I asked Glenn Greenwald about this over on Twitter, and, and he pointed me to an article that he wrote. I guess this was the day or two after the uh, actual shooting in South Carolina with the headline, Refusal to call Charleston shootings terrorism again shows it's a meaningless propaganda term. And he pointed to, and I'm sure you remember this, uh, uh, Colleen, back in 2010, Joseph Stack, the guy who deliberately flew a small airplane into the side of a building, uh, an IRS office in Austin, Texas. Uh, And at the time... Everyone was concerned, oh, is this terrorism? Is this, uh, you know, domestic terrorism, international terrorism? He flew a plane into a building, the IRS after all. And then once they found out he was a white guy and that he was apparently, you know, people thought he was a nice guy, he was funny. All of a sudden they said, oh, okay, phew, it's not terrorism. After all, it's just a guy who, who went crazy. I mean, it really does seem to be meaningless propaganda you know i i don't want i'm not asking for more charges against this uh, guy in south carolina i'm asking for some consistency in what the hell we're doing here well <laughs> i think greenwald is totally correct that you're not going to get consistency when there is this um these other motives these other motives of of ginning up the, the so-called global war on terrorism and so since 9-11, they've had that agenda. If you would have gone back to years before 9-11, when the uh, Oklahoma bombing occurred and mm-hmm. Timothy McVeigh was responsible, and even the anthrax, even the anthrax killer that occurred after 9-11, mm-hmm. you, you saw the same uh, thing. There was, it was called terror, Timothy McVeigh's bombing was called the biggest act of domestic terrorism. But it's almost the last time mm-hmm. that has occurred. The anthrax was called terrorism for a while, and then actually when they, as, over the years, when they identified the wrong person, whatever, it just completely was, was muddied and muddled just the same way. Uh, unfortunately, a certain amount of these violent acts, and in, sometimes, you know, you can actually maybe come up with a bit of a motive, and certainly in the case of Dylan Roth, it's very clear, his intent was clear, but in many of these cases, either because of mental illness or because of people uh, becoming rather senselessly radicalized for different reasons. It is not really possible to do this. And so they're trying to make it into this so-called war on terrorism, which really, Glenn Greenwald is 100% correct. This is uniquely set for uh, Muslims or for Arab nations that we have had agendas with in the past. And so absolutely, the, the media is primed for that message, and it's almost like they've been educated to believe these things, and so they they need to ask more questions. In their press conferences, when James Comey gives a press conference, the the smarter reporters need to stand up and press him on these very same questions, because none of this is really making a lot of sense, and really hasn't since the start. People said, how can you have a war on a tactic or on an intent? And that's exactly right. And it should be noted here in that same article uh, from Greenwald, uh, he says, by stark contrast, no violence by the West against Muslims can possibly be terrorism, no matter how brutal, inhumane, or indiscriminately civilian killing. The U.S. can call its invasion of Baghdad shock and awe as a a classic declaration of terrorism, uh, uh, of 
of terrorism intent or fly killer drones permanently over terrorized villages and cities or engage in generation-lasting atrocities in Fallujah or arm and fund Israel and Saudi destruction of helpless civilian populations. And none of that, of course, can possibly be called terrorism. And you know the quote, I, I say it, I put it on my Facebook and other social media regularly, but the uh, key quote here is, um, a poor man's war is terrorism, a rich man's terrorism is war. <laughs> and so these are the, the flip sides of each other. Uh, obviously, if you're in the power position, you know, you're killing civilians, and it's certainly to, to, to coerce, there's no difference, and it's called war. If you're the less powerful group, you use these guerrilla tactics, as our revolutionary soldiers did, uh, because they don't have the power of, of the big weaponry or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that quote's very important. A, a poor man's war is terrorism. A rich man's terrorism is war. And they serve to ratchet each other up. Uh, it, you're, and you're, that quote is absolutely on the money. Um, Jenna McLaughlin, uh, over at The Intercept, which is uh, where Glenn Greenwald writes, uh, also points out uh, one major obstacle in charging Roth with domestic terrorism. The crime does not exist. Uh, apparently, there is no specific uh, terrorism statute. And you referred, uh, Colleen, uh, at the beginning to what was it, material support of terrorism, that that is a crime. So if I uh, send money, I guess, to a terrorist group, that that is a specific crime, but that there is no actual crime of terrorism in, in, in U.S. code, I guess, is what they're saying. Even though there is a definition of what domestic terrorism is, um, does that sync up with with your understanding here? This is coming from actually Loretta, yeah, Loretta it, Lynch uh, said that. Uh, no, yeah, that very much is in sync with what I recall, mm -hmm. and I also recall challenging uh, the definition of domestic terrorism that was put into the Patriot Act. Uh, it, not so much the definition, which seemed fine. You kind of read it there, and it, it includes a violent act, uh, an act of violence to, to human beings. And I remember raising my hand a lot of times because these cases that they were opening were not actually predicated upon violent acts to human beings. They were predicated maybe on property damage. So if you're if you're a you know a group and you go out and put graffiti on a bridge or something like that, that should not have constituted even under the definition of domestic terrorism in the Patriot Act. It should not have constituted domestic terrorism, and yet. Uh, letting uh, letting animals go, the animal liberation type things. These things were not acts dangerous to human life, and I could never get a straight answer. I would raise my hand and ask those questions and say, well, you know, if you're going to investigate the mink farms, etc., shouldn't that definition then also include property damage, etc.? And they would never, they just kind of shrugged. So I, I go back to what I said from the start. The definitions are, they have a propaganda value, but they are not clear, and they're not good for purposes of law enforcement at all, because they're not even making sense. They're not, they're not lining up. There's, there's no way to distinguish these things. And, in fact, uh, I think that's all they are serving now is propaganda. 
Yeah, I think they are. Go after the uh, the animal rights activists. Go after the environmentalists. Uh, call them terrorists. But uh, people who are actually trying to terrorize, actually trying to inflict terror, like this kid in South Carolina was. Oh, that was something else. That was something else entirely. Very strange. Uh, and and yeah, very ultimately meaningless and propaganda. We we use the term terror. When it suits us. Colleen Raleigh, always great to talk to you, always helpful and enlightening. Uh, thanks for your help here, and uh, I hope to talk to you again soon on the broadcast. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back with uh, some green news reports speaking of environmental terrorists. Uh, stay tuned. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. <laughs> Only one thing. Desi Joyen joins us here on the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Welcome back. Uh, hi, Des. Hi. Boy, you know, I love that Colleen Raleigh. I know. She's awesome. It's it's always nice to have a former FBI special agent and whistleblower and Time Magazine Person of the Year on call when you need them. When you need to have a... <laughs> A terrorism question answered. Yes, indeed. Uh, or a non-terrorism question uh, answered in this case. Uh, but, uh, okay, let's... Okay, we got, uh, oh, a Green News report and uh, a new presidential uh, candidate in the race. I know. Oh, it's so much fun. All right, let's get to it then. Our latest Green News report. I'm still not sure um, of, uh, of all the causes and all the science. Ohio Governor John Kasich jumps into the 2016 race. We'll try to decipher his position on climate change. One of the things that preceded the failure of the nation's state of Syria and the rise of ISIS was the effect of climate change. The Democratic presidential candidate Martin O'Malley links global warming to Middle East unrest and ISIS. If he is saying that, then my use of aerosol hairspray is as bad as beheadings. <laughs> and Fox News heads explode. Plus... Right in the middle of this problem, we have fierce opposition and blind inertia. California Governor Jerry Brown slams climate science deniers. All of those slams and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Of course, we've got to be concerned about it, but we shouldn't worship the environment. No, we should worship a great, big, huge, invisible, bearded, floating guy in the sky. Like you, Governor. That makes much more sense. Am I right? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I suspect you may be breathing a sigh of relief. We have maybe, just maybe, the final major presidential candidate to enter the race this week, which means your yeoman's job of tracking each of their climate change positions over these past many months is almost over. There are probably a few more that are going to pop up anyway. They're like whack-a-mole. All right, well, you just keep whacking. What do you have for us today? Well, first, the 16th Republican has now jumped into the race for the 2016 Republican presidential nomination. Ohio Governor John Kasich announced his bid on Tuesday. Now, as we've said, we've been tracking the climate change positions of all of the official 2016 candidates. And in an interview with the Financial Times just two weeks ago, Kasich said he believes climate change is happening, but he's not sure it's time to do anything about it. We have an obligation to the environment. 
of course we've got to be concerned about it, but we shouldn't worship the environment. And, uh, and I wouldn't want to create any kind of, of dramatic economic change of policy because I'm still not sure, um, <clears throat> I don't know that anybody is fully sure of, uh, of all the causes and all the science. Oh, man. All right, let's unpack that. First, nobody's worshiping the environment. What we're trying to say is let's keep the planet alive. That's all it is. And the idea that, uh, yeah, we may have to spend a lot of money to save ourselves, given that we have spent so much more money essentially killing ourselves over the past 50, 100 years. And yes, people do know who is responsible. It is man. And in more recent history, in practice as governor, Kasich rejected federal funding for high-speed rail and rolled back Ohio's wildly successful renewable electricity standard, which had saved Ohioans over $200 million and lowered their electricity rates. So is it fair to say that John Kasich both pretends to not be a denier and pretends to be a denier? All at the same time, it's quite a trick. He's very good. Right-wing media was in an uproar this week after Democratic presidential candidate and former Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley linked historic mega-drought in the Middle East to unrest in the region. One of the things that preceded the failure of the nation-state of Syria and the rise of ISIS was the effect of climate change and the mega-drought that affected that region, wiped out farmers, drove people to cities, created a humanitarian crisis that created the conditions of extreme poverty that has led now to, to the rise of ISIL and this extreme violence. Heads exploded in right-wing media land, figuratively of course. Here's Fox News host Kennedy. Oh, that's it. It's the mega drought. Finally, we know. I guess when you mix a rise in temperature with a lack of water, you get an Islamic caliphate. <laughs> of course, don't tell Fox News, but the Pentagon calls global warming a threat multiplier. And multiple studies have found climate change worsened the 2011 drought in Syria and played a role in triggering Syria's civil war. And we have covered that time and time again on the Green News Report. So I guess they just can't be bothered to do actual research over at Fox News. Meanwhile, California Governor Jerry Brown blasted the climate change denial industry and their friends in politics and the media for obstructing action on climate change at a two-day climate summit at the Vatican in Rome this week. We are talking about extinction. We're talking about uh, climate regimes that has not, have not been seen for tens of millions of years that requires that we react. Right in the middle of this problem, we have fierce opposition and blind inertia. And that opposition is well-financed. And former California governor and action movie star Arnold Schwarzenegger also warned the conference, quote, I've starred in a lot of science fiction movies, and let me tell you something, climate change is not science fiction. And that's the guy who used to drive his Hummer around proudly as a denier. People can change. Only question is, will they do it before it's too late? For much more on that story and all of the others we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download the Green News Report anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report.
love that song. I do. You are such a Brady Bunch fan. I do. Any uh, opportunity to use that. I, I am. Uh, well, we should call it the Brady cast, maybe. <laughs> That's. Uh, th- thank you, Desi Doyen. Always, always happy to end with the Brady Bunch there. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer today, to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess, and, of course, to Colleen Raleigh. We will be back with you same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, and it was a good one, stop by bradblog.com. You can download it there or just subscribe for free over on iTunes. And while you're there, give us a good review because that will help other people also find the Bradcast. Okay. Uh, find us and follow us also on the Facebooks and the Twitters. We are the Brad Blog over there. And you can drop me email anytime you want. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I